Hi, I'm Blake Gilman, the Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Care Services at LCS. You're listening to the Healthcare Highwire. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Highwire. I am Michelle Kramer, Director of Health and Wellness Programming and Post-Acute Specialist. I am joined today by Christina Brenderman, Director of Denials and Appeals with TMC. Today, we will be discussing the top five claim denial reasons and success strategies to reduce the risk of denial. Welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me, Michelle. So, Christina, now that PDPM has been in effect for a little over a year, have you been receiving any PDPM denials? We have not yet received PDPM ADRs or denials from Medicare, but we have seen numerous denials from managed care companies, especially Humana and United Healthcare. Prior to COVID, we started receiving ADRs and denial notices related to the IPA assessment when patients transitioned to PDPM on October 1st, 2019. Then once COVID hit, the notices were put on hold for several months to give providers a break. But now they have resumed as of August, and we're seeing increased activity with notices requesting documents as well as denials from the beginning of PDPM's effective date. Wow. So what are the five most common denial reasons you have been seeing related to the PDPM claims? The five most common denial reasons we have encountered are related to Section GG, IV feeding, medical diagnoses included on the MDS, cognitive impairment, and swallowing disorders. So why don't we go through each of the denial reasons to try to provide our listeners with some strategies, right, and why we are seeing the denials. So that's really interesting that those five areas are being denied. So what specifically are the managed care companies denying when it comes to Section GG? Well, the most common denial notice has been related to Section GG technicalities of the MDS. The denial notices have stated things such as documentation provided does not support coding of all Section GG payment items, unable to support Section GG assessment was performed timely, and unable to use GG documentation received with requested records as it does not identify clinician completing assessment and completion dates. Section GG should capture the patient's usual performance within the first three days of the Part A admission date. CMS's expectation is that Section GG is a collaborative approach that involves input from the residents, nurses, CNAs, therapists, family, MDS coordinator, admissions, and social services who are all part of the interdisciplinary team. The coding on Section GG should be based on performance throughout each part of the day rather than just one shift. Managed care companies have been focusing on the therapy contribution and that documentation, and if it doesn't match what is coded on the MDS, they are issuing a denial. We feel that this will be the same expectation for Medicare Part A claims as well. Wow. So I agree. It's extremely important that during the PDPM huddles that the Section GG usual performance areas are reviewed with PT, OT, and nursing and the IDT team. There should be a summary statement by day four, right? especially of the stay, and that it should be entered into the nursing notes that the team has collaborated and to support that GG coding, correct? Yes, I agree. 
So in your opinion, how can communities provide that supportive documentation for Section GG and that we can really tail it to a collaborative approach? That is an important question, Michelle. Documentation should support that collaboration occurred when deciding the patient's usual performance for Section GG. A detailed note that indicates who collaborated on Section GG should be included in the medical record so that any auditor can clearly see it was not just therapy or nursing that decided how Section GG should be coded. That makes total sense. So it all leads back to documentation, documentation, and documentation. So in addition to Section GG denials, why are claims that are coded for parenteral IV feeding for IV fluids being denied? We have seen denial notices related to parenteral IV feeding that state clinical documentation does not support coding of parenteral IV fluids. The documentation received does not support additional fluids were provided specifically to address a a nutrition or hydration need. With these denials that we have received, the patients received IV fluids in the hospital, but the hospital documentation did not specifically state the fluids were given for hydration. The medical record should support the hydration or nutritional benefit of the fluids provided to the patient. Yes, really supports the need to upload hospital documentation into the community EMR, right? I also see that we are not coding for hydrodermoclysis occasionally on my audits that I'm finding. We need to be documenting the reason and need for those IV hydration fluids, right? So that the communities can take credit for it and get reimbursed appropriately. I completely agree, Michelle. I know we have been working on accurate coding on the MDS assessments. What do you think the medical diagnosis denials look like? And are they related to specific codes? That is a great question. We have seen several denials related to specific diagnoses in both sections I-20B and I-8000 of the MDS. There have not been any trends with reviewers looking at certain codes. They, ha- they seem to be looking in the medical record for validation that each code indicated in Section I has evidence that it is an active diagnosis within the last seven days and that there is a documented physician diagnosis within the last 60 days. A few examples we have seen are reviewers looking for evidence of COPD, malnutrition, and diabetic retinopathy. In some cases, we have found that the physician notes orders and or hospital documentation were not submitted for review in response to the ADR, and that caused the reviewer to not have proof that the diagnoses were active. Well, I totally agree. And again, it just reiterates that hospital records, physician documentation, orders, and the MDS assessments all need to be included when submitting that ADR response. LCS really encourages communities to upload all hospital documentation into the EHRs so they can have evidence within the chart to support all of those ICD-10 codes. That is true. We have seen some claims that did not have documentation to support an active diagnosis coded on the MDS. Remember, diagnoses require a physician documentation within the last 60 days in order to be captured on the MDS. Yes, and it's great practice, don't you think, that when going back to the physician for coding clarification and diagnosis, 
we need to make sure that the physician is signing and dating that medical diagnosis list to support the active status of the medical diagnosis. So, Christina, let's change topics to the cognitive impairment coding denials, right? So, would you please explain how a patient's cognitive impairment is being analyzed by those reviewers? Yes, we recently received a denial related to the speech-language pathology case mix grouper that stated the documentation provided does not appear to support the resident having a cognitive impairment. So if a patient has a BIMS or a staff assessment indicating cognitive impairment with Section C of the MDS, the medical record should also support the cognitive impairment. The supportive documentation can be present in nursing, social services, and therapy notes. This documentation can include a summary statement of the residence results of the BIMS or staff assessment and a description of deficit areas. A speech-language evaluation for cognition is also needed. Wow. So sticking with the speech-language pathology CMI, what about the swallowing disorder denial notices you have seen? Are these denials related to the patients with mechanically altered diets? We have seen denial notices related to support for a swallowing disorder as indicated on the MDS. One denial notice stated specifically, documentation received does not support the function score of mechanically altered diet. So if a swallowing disorder is indicated within section K of the MDS, the medical record must justify that a swallowing disorder exists. One area to look for support is in the speech therapy documentation. But if therapy is not involved in treating swallowing because the patient's swallowing status has not changed, support might not be present in the therapy documentation. So the presence of that patient's swallowing disorder should be documented within nursing, CNA, and dietary documentation as well. That's really important to know. That's really a good point. So now that we talked about the five most common denial reasons we have been encountering, including Section GG, the IV feeding, medical diagnoses included on the MDS, the cognitive impairment, and swallow disorders, Christina, talk about a few key takeaways for success. Okay, sure. The first one would be the medical record should include documentation to support that Section GG was a collaborative effort with the interdisciplinary team. Then, if we are coding for IV fluids on the MDS, the documentation should support that the fluids were given for hydration. I would also say always include hospital and physician documentation in ADR and denial packets. In addition, medical diagnoses coded on the MDS must have support of being active. And finally, documentation must support cognitive impairment, the swallowing disorder, and the mechanically altered diet. I totally agree. Again, that documentation, 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 we can't have enough of that to support all of our services and our coding. Thank you so much, Christina, for discussing those top five most common denial reasons and the strategies for success that we can use to reduce the risk of denial in the future. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Michelle. This has been a Healthcare Highwire presentation. Until next time. Legal disclaimer, Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast. Mm-hmm.